where at the very least Drake gets drunk, talks about various issues, and Sophia corrects him on his problems. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Pino and Policy, where we decide to get drunk and talk about the news. This is Arbiter.org's favorite podcast, namely because I, Drake, your host, get to drink Florida White Claws, have a good time, and then interview my fellow friends and compatriots and ask them what they think about the news. This week we have something very fun to talk to you all about, and it's, guess what, technology, specifically about how Google is bad and Facebook too. To be more precise, Google and Facebook are currently being investigated by various attorneys general. Yes, that is the plural for that term. And it's a bit of a big deal. Uh, These massive companies um, from the Silicon Valley, which have control over the internet and all of our personal lives, are finally being investigated for antitrust violations. It's something that's worth talking about in particular because it affects, well, our very lives. Joining me today is the editor-in-chief of our Arbiter, Sophia Freuden. Say hello, please. Hi, I am Sophia. I am the editor-in-chief, as Drake just pointed out. Yeah, she needs to catch up to me. I'm already like a Florida White Claw in, so, you know. But still, it's happy to have her here. Um, I'm going to be referring to her as the voice of wisdom here, while I'm the tech guy who talks about how we should all be wearing uh, tinfoil hats. Hey, Is that hey, correct, Sophia? Hey, hey. I'm trying my hardest in my data science and cybersecurity classes. All right. Uh, for everybody listening, Sophia's at Harvard. Oh, yes. Quite. Yeah, yeah, exactly in Boston or whatever. Where it's they lose actually, their it's Cambridge. It's Cambridge. Okay. Oh, it's different. Wow. Okay. Um, for Portland listeners, like, no, no, I don't live in Portland. I live in like Oswego. Oh my goodness, like, that's uh, terrible. That's terrible. Yeah, but you know it's we true. We don't say those words. Exactly. So anyway, so here's the lay of the land for our listeners who happen to be interested. Okay. So essentially, this is what happened last week. 50's, 50 attorneys general from 48 states, Puerto Rico, and D.C. have initiated an antitrust into investigation into Google. It's a big deal. It's worth noting that the two abstainers have reason to abstain. There's California, for obvious reasons, and Alabama. Why Alabama? Well, worry, you know, worry not. There is a reason why Alabama uh, does not like to uh, serve freedom in the rest of the American populace, namely because there's going to be a fancy new data center built there. But hey, who cares? A data center owned by whom exactly? I believe it was Google, but don't quote me on that because I don't have the article right in front of me. The point is, is you can look it up if you're curious. The thing that is matter that does matter, and I do have an article in front of me, is a quote straight from uh, Axios, which talks about how, quote, the probe will focus on whether Google has harmed competition in consumers, looking at least initially into the company's conduct and its search, advertising, and other businesses, though it may extend from there. The basic boilerplate is this, is that Google, as the primary search engine for everybody on the internet, has undue power over what people see and hear. What that means is that for the left, which we're always scared about, for instance, big, massive, multinational corporations controlling our lives, we're going to go after people who are the big multinational corporation du jour, which happens happens to be Google. For the right, this actually happens to be politically expedient as well, mainly because the right have gotten it into their heads that, for some reason, reality has a liberal bias. In this case, that's for some reason, Google and other uh, tech companies discount supposedly conservative views. Now, as a complete side note, Google's offended this by saying that they only uh, weight their algorithm towards reputable sites. Which is a slight, yeah. Uh, it's sort of, yeah. it's like a, when you're in a competition against facts and Google is the one who sorts through the facts, like, of course, your content's going to get excluded because it's not factual. Right. So this is less that uh, reality has a, well, reality does have a liberal bias in this case, in the sense that usually right leaning websites, at least in the United States, happen to have a reputation for not entirely being super reputable, cough, Breitbart, um, or the, or the Daily Report, Stormer. Or the Fox News, or the list goes on and on. Right, exactly. So if Google's supposedly, you know, impartial algorithm says, oh, it's not reputable, then we're not going to list it, well, that's why. With that being said, it scores political points on both sides, hence why 48 attorneys generals um, have launched this investigation. But it's not just Google that's getting some heat. So the other people that are getting heat are, wait for it, 
Facebook. So there's only nine attorneys general who have launched an antitrust investigation against Facebook. But in general, our two big dogs, Facebook and Google, have been getting heat over the past several years. And this is the latest salvo against them. So what we're going to be talking about today is, first of all, what that heat is what it's predicated on, the politics behind it, and of course, what will they do? And finally, what do we think as the quote-unquote experts in the uh, podcast room will happen? Uh, Svia, what do you think so far? Okay, so what I think so far is it's very interesting that so many attorneys general have launched this probe into Google, but so few have jumped onto the one in Facebook, in part because just based off of what I'm reading and my understanding, my sort of rudimentary paralegal, former paralegal understanding of how antitrust laws work, um, I feel like Facebook is way more liable uh, legally liable for these kinds of antitrust laws and actions that the United States government typically takes. Um, whereas with Google, like their defense that they have crafted, which I guess we'll get into a bit later, is actually like they're not entirely wrong. Like their defense isn't just some clever, clever like legal jujitsu. Like they do actually have a point in the sense that like what they do as a company is like fundamentally different from the kind of arguments that are being launched against them. Um, Could you define that further? Yeah. So with Google, uh, a lot of these attorneys generals. Uh, sorry, attorneys general are looking into if Google is uh, sort of disrupting competition with its search engine and advertisements and whatever else um, because it is so massive. And its defense is that the search engine is not like its core feature and that it's more of an uh, advertisement and multimedia platform. You know, there. I guess there are other search engines out there that hypothetically suffice as um, a sort of substitute for Google. You know, there's Yahoo, um, Bing, question mark, others, you know, the ones that you never use because when you use them, you know, you end up Googling, I don't know, grocery stores near you and it sends you to like uh, weird dental services in Germany. Uh, very bizarre algorithms that they use that aren't really good. Who even uses Yahoo anymore, honestly? What is the one? It's like ask.com. I feel like there were a bunch of like weird Ask ones. Jeeves. Yeah. That yeah, was so 90s. There was like a bunch Does of weird like smaller ones when we were kids that like Google slowly won out over. Um, I remember, yeah. I do remember a day where Yahoo was actually kind of used as a search engine. Like people still preferred Google, but would use Yahoo. And that has just since disappeared. So weird. I know. But anyway, Google has like this, this legal argument that it's crafted that kind of makes sense to me. I think it's kind of shifty that they're trying to say that they're not the only search engine out there. Um, especially because when you go to, like, from just like a purely logical standpoint, when you go to Google, uh, Google.com, where do you land, Drake? Google. What is, what is, what is that? Where, like, what do, are you physically looking at when you go to Google.com? The Google search engine exactly, page. Exactly. Right? If and that that's the thing is that's... like your primary service, then yeah. how can you like dare to even claim that you're, you know, not a, a search engine? And not just that, but and, like. And so for background for other people so for people who are not familiar google's main revenue driver isn't what we use every day so google which is technically owned by alphabet which is google it's this complicated way for them to save tax money because all the tech companies don't like contributing to america anyway um basically google makes this money off of primarily ad targeting so what they do is they take all your ad all your searches you make through their google service right they mine all that data and then they use that and sell the data and then create fantastic automated ads to, you know, hit you, much like how Facebook operates. And that's where most of Google's money comes from. They have other side services and then they have other side businesses such as Cough YouTube. Where does YouTube get its money? Oh, wait, advertising. Because and essentially the argument Google is making that they're not an antitrust violator is they're saying, well, we're not the only, you know, search engine in town, like Sophia mentioned, but also we're not a search engine. We're an advertisement company. And not only that, their search engine arguably is a public service and a public good. And by, say, for instance, breaking up Google or giving them, you know, a slap on the wrist would hurt the public unduly and therefore don't do it. Um, and to be perfectly honest, from a logical standpoint, if Google's primary revenue generator is ads and if their primary business 
is ads. They're no different than, say, a newspaper putting, you know, selling ads, for instance, back, say, in the 70s, and the newspaper was your main place you got information from. Yeah, but there were how many newspapers back then, right? Yeah, like... 11 billion before you know google happened and facebook the thing is is that like i like from a legalistic argument like i'm not i'm not a lawyer by no means right but from a logical legal argument i can see where they're going for yeah in a practical stay standpoint uh they dominate search engine preferences they dominate advertisement presence like i i could if gun to my head i couldn't name another advertiser besides facebook that's uh, the thing. It's just Facebook and Google. Who else is the other automated ad person? I don't know. Pornhub? I, I think they get their stuff from Google anyway. <laughs> like, that's there the thing. are a couple. I mean, so specifically with Google, statistically speaking, Google isn't the only platform out there that uh, has click ads. The other largest ones being Amazon and Facebook. The issue is that when your biggest competition is other companies that are also hypothetically monopolies, it's it's kind of an issue, right? Um, especially because Google, out of all of those major companies that make up the, the vast, vast, vast majority of advertisement on the internet, Google is the only one that's a search engine, right? And not just that, but it's the best search engine. It's the, the search engine that knows you better than you know you, which is kind of creepy. Yeah. Um, so legally, Google sort of has a leg to stand on. We'll see where this whole like undue uh, harm to like the public argument gets them. I think it might also serve to give some some sort of background as to like what antitrust laws are in the United States right. in part because they they are a little bit different than in other countries. The United States actually has pretty robust antitrust laws. Which is hilarious, particularly because we think of ourselves as hyper capitalistic, but That's you know, a hundred years ago. Phenomenon. That's a recent yeah. phenomenon. Like it wasn't Thank you, until Reagan. the so from a period of basically the 1890s until the 1970s, the United States had some of the most robust anti-monopoly, pro-competition laws out there, right? And in the 1970s, right before like sort of Reaganomics, neoliberal like neoliberalist capitalist economic thought took over in the in the United States, we had ways of dealing with companies like Google and would frequently deal with companies like Google. It's only in the well, last like 40 to 50 years that we've gotten scared that the like United States government shouldn't intervene in the market because governments aren't efficient. That is literally Kool-Aid that people have well, been like trying to poison the water with, right? That's that's the thing that's super wild. So, uh, you know, a podcast referencing another podcast. I was listening to The Daily like two weeks ago and there was this big announcement where a bunch of uh, CEOs all signed a huge document talking about how their number one fiduciary duty shouldn't just be the shareholders, it should be the general public. And that freaked out everybody. Uh, in the business world because traditionally speaking CEOs should only care about as at least what we think about is shareholder value which is boring as it sounds that's what we've lived under but what the daily actually talked about a little bit there they interviewed some people and then also play quotes from the big bad guy from back in the 70s which I'll bring up in a moment that's actually relatively new for most of American history during that time period or modern American industrial history that you were mentioning Sophia corporations had a sort of social contracts so to speak and this goes back to like the henry ford um example everybody brings up um that he overpaid his factory workers five dollars a day so that way they could actually you know buy his own cars that they were building Mm -hmm. and that actually helped stimulate the economy or all those pensions that were built back in the day you work for gm for 30 years and they'll reward you for it there's this this time period where ceos and companies in america were a part of the social contract that's not to say that there weren't problems henry ford was a famous anti-semite even for the time but there was that 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 thought that companies large companies had a duty to their employees because they were part of our system and it also helped that there were very strong antitrust protections and ways to keep corporations from becoming all-powerful and then there's this guy named milton Friedman who all showed up in the 70s during stagflation he was saying no who cares (laughs) is the short answer (laughs) the longer answer is that what really matters is a free market where companies just care about profits and then somehow logically that'll mean we'll have a better system and then 40 years later uh it didn't quite work out that way as we later learned whoops yeah so you know but the thing that's important to note is that 
we're actually living in a time that's relatively recent. It just feels like forever because we're relatively young people. Millennials are only like max 40 years old, which is horrifying. So we've only ever lived under that system. But for most of American history, we were actually more labor protective. Yeah. And so what's so interesting about this is that we're actually starting to push back against the new monopolists of today, Google, Facebook, etc. Yeah. So to just give a little bit more background on that sort of antitrust law that exists in the United States, I'll try to give a really like brief version of it because it's, you know, there's a lot out there. But there's three major federal laws that constitute antitrust uh, laws in the United States. The oldest one is the Sherman Act, um, and that was the one that dates back to the 1890s. Uh, the next one that was passed was the Federal Trade and Commissions Act in 1914. And then at this around the same time, they also passed the Clayton Act. Um, the Sherman Act, the oldest one, is sort of your bare bones, like anti-monopoly sort of law that prohibits like monopolies from operating in the United States, um, and it's meant to promote trade and commerce. The FTC uh, is sort of the body that enforces um, like consumer protection in the United States. It doesn't technically enforce the Sherman Act, but anything that violates the FTC Act also violates the Sherman Act and vice versa. So there's some weird overlap between the two. And then the Clayton Act is sort of an expansion that also covers mergers and also two companies um, that are technically competitors from cooperating secretly. So like two companies that are competitors can't have the same CEO, for example. Uh, mm -hmm. that, is, that is your brief rundown of the most important antitrust laws in the United States. And as Drake mentioned earlier, there's sort of a convoluted history in the United States of how they work. Um, and yeah, again, the last 40 to 50 years, they haven't really been working in part because it's sort of become a taboo amongst prosecutors and investigators and whatever else to do it. But the legal framework is there, right? Like we can legally do this and perhaps legally should. Well, that's the wild thing, you know, it's, and we live in this really weird era where for once, um, it seems like the left quote unquote is allying with labor after 40 years of ignoring them, which is beautiful. And so, but the funny thing is, is that we're targeting tech companies, which tech companies have always been quote unquote on our side in the sense of the left that they're all about liberalism that, yeah, man, we're good companies. We're disrupting. We're taking down the bad guys. We have kombucha and beer on tap, blah, blah, blah. Right. I feel like, we'll get into this later, but that is like 100% just a marketing ploy. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying it's a marketing okay, ploy that they've employed. Okay, maybe not 100% of the marketing ploy because I'm sure the vast majority of the employees at these companies probably do hold like liberal political values, right? But like, yeah, the fact which, that you know, for whatever reason we've thought for so long that Google and Facebook or whatever is on the left side, it's just like so, it doesn't make any sense. It, just like we've well, sort of like fooled ourselves into thinking that antitrust laws aren't something that we should enforce, right? We also have fooled ourselves into thinking that for whatever reason, Facebook and Google and whatever are like the liberal champions in the universe, which they're not. Well, and that that's something important. So um, do you remember the website Gawker from back in the day? Isn't it still? I'm still around, right? No, it got killed. Okay. So there's this guy named Peter Thiel. So Peter Thiel is this um, classic Silicon Valley multi-billionaire, whatever the hell kind of guy, right? Super quote-unquote liberal, whatever, right? Uh, Co-founder of PayPal, friends of Elon Musk, the whole nine yards. You can watch the uh, documentary on uh, Netflix. But the key thing is this guy, super... Silicon Valley, whatever, but also fan Fox News and also got rid of a journalistic organization just because he could. Um, there's a great documentary on it, Netflix. You don't have to believe it, yes or no. But the point is that just because they happen to be socially liberal doesn't always mean that they care about the quote-unquote left. And that's the thing that's kind of concerning. So Peter Thiel is a classic example of a really super rich Silicon Valley guy who may or may not be an ultra capitalist who just really wants to have his own like private island somewhere who just happens to be, you know, a fan of smoking weed, for instance. And that's the thing is that like the Silicon Valley has certain issues that dovetail with the Californian and by large uh, leftist policies. For instance, hey, maybe we can be chill with minorities, mainly because we uh, hire H-1B people and we want them to feel safe at our company so we can underpay them. Sort of stuff like that. It's where, superficially speaking, they're leftists, but practically speaking, they're just capitalists who want to make money off of people, and this is a way that they can survive in the area that they're in. And, you know, it, it's concerning 
concerning to say the least. And Google is a fantastic example of this. So Google, which is always like back in the day, the joke was in their corporate charter that they had the don't be evil clause, which got removed a couple of years ago, apparently. Who's to say if that's apocryphal or not? The thing is, is that recently they've been getting hammered with discrimination complaint, complaints, both on racial and sexual uh, and gender, you know, uh, biases. And you mean, and you mean like all on the employee, employee level, right? On the this employee is like levels. And so that's the thing that's crazy about Google. Google is known for being super selective with who they hire, and they, they like to talk about how they're fantastic. There was a goddamn movie about it called The Internship or whatever with, um, what's the guy? He's not Ms. Woody Harrelson. He's the other uh, dude. Owen Wilson. Yeah, wow, right, that guy, right? They had a whole movie about how awesome it is to work at Google, right? And the, the fact is, is that that's entirely a myth. It's a company like any other. It's just a company that's capitalized on the left's idea of progress and technology, which usually dovetails with progressivism, they except when it doesn't. In their headquarters, Drake, they have a slide. Oh, wow, and they have slide. really... Trust me, I've been to Palo Alto and Mountain View. Let me tell you, their bikes are creepy. The point I'm trying to get at is Google and those other places have created a cult-like atmosphere to make people think, externally speaking, well, they're not evil. They're not Standard Oil from like the 1960s or whatever. They're not, you know, the Bell Labs of the day back in the day, right? They're instead, oh, no, they're Google. They're cute. They're colorful. They, they have funny little doodles every day about random artists. But, oh, whoops, wait a second. And uh, they're super apparently racist and sexist, et cetera, et cetera. Not to mention massive have... privacy invasions, uh, particularly if you own like any kind of Android device. Which, when you think about it, on, on, on net, kind of makes the Koch brothers and those traditional capitalists look a little bit cute. Like, it's really bad that, like, you know, the, the traditional conservative oil barons or media barons or whatever who support all those anti-abortion crazy people, right? Those are bad, right? Yeah. But then it's another when the people who are ostensibly on our side, know everything about us and all that, and still discriminate against the minorities within our big tent kind of screwy right yeah. it's a little bit like there's a there's a what, what it's like saying there's somebody in the neighborhood you don't like and they're terrible and they're mean and they like you know kick your cat apparently and talk about how they hate black people which is terrible right it's even worse if there's somebody in your quote-unquote family who also is like low-key you know bugging your room and also doesn't like if you show up with like a minority like a uh, family so member what you're or something saying is it's like confederacy type racism versus get out type racism you know, I kind of love that that argument because it's kind of accurate. No, I, mean, I mean, like, like no, no, it's like entirely accurate, liberal, actually. The white liberal facade. There's a reason why, like, Get Out was made to talk about this. It's like, you know, we can sit here on our high horses and our ivory towers and whatever and talk about like how liberal and enlightened we are and how like welcome we are, welcoming we are for like all all of humanity, right? But like inherently, when it comes to like pretending to be like quote-unquote woke white liberal like there's inherent issues with it especially amongst older generations though younger people are, are prone to making those same same mistakes as well right and right. i and can't think of a better place for that kind of culture to flourish than silicon valley well and that's the thing that's so wild because it's ostensibly made by majority like white dudes who think they're liberal and cool but they also are built off the backs of let's be perfectly honest you know exploited h1b workers who are primarily south asian for instance and oh by the way don't even start the women question because they don't believe those women exist like it's there's, there's a lot of really screwy parts of tech culture and we're finally these titans are being attacked and the weird thing is, is that somebody who's relatively techy i'd like to say i'm kind of happy that they're finally looking into these people because yeah. essentially speaking like on a legalistic level, I get where Google's coming from, right? They're arguing they're an advertisement platform that provides a public good, right? Yeah. But the the crux of the antitrust investigation is that Google is more functionally speaking a natural monopoly, which for people who have not suffered through Economics 100, I'll tell you what it is. A natural monopoly is essentially a business that trends towards monopoly due to various factors that are natural to the environment. An example of this is, say, a cable company. The fixed costs of setting up a cable company are absurdly high, which discourages competition, and there's higher efficiency towards there being, say, one or two cable companies. Shocker, this is why we have, say, Time Warner or Comcast. And in theory, to prevent them from exploiting tons of people, a government would regulate a natural monopoly. Another example of this is electric companies. And short of, say, Enron, usually it works out. So the argument is, a search engine, 
like Google, which directs virtually everybody in America, if not everywhere else in the world, except for China, should be regulated like a natural monopoly, where there's high fixed costs to setting up a proper algorithm to, for instance, direct people around the internet that's super complex, etc. And therefore, it's a public good that we should regulate at a certain price and to make sure that people aren't abusing. Therefore, that's where the government shows up. And the irony is this, too, by the way, Google's resisting all these antitrust even investigations into them, they've already bent over backwards, bent over arguably to China, which is a, by the way, a totalitarian regime that's not about like freedom of speech or freedom of the internet or anything. It's like, no, if you mention Tiananmen Square, we're going to go string you up somewhere. Here's the deal. So the funny, yeah, like, that's the funny part. There's like, there's a, there's a reason for both things, right? And it's the same reason. It's all about the dollar bills, right? It is yep. in Google's interest to tap the Chinese market. It will bring in so much revenue for Google to right. be able to tap that market. So of course they're going to bend over backwards and do whatever Xi Jinping tells them to do, right? And on Which the converse is... side of that, here in America, like it will only cost them money to do to count out to any sort of regulations that we happen to put on them here, right? Because they've already tapped this market. They want to keep those taps wide open. Any tightening of the taps is really not in their interests. Which is, you know, the hilarious thing is that like you're completely right, Sophia, in the sense that like they're gonna do whatever makes sense because they're a company and their fiduciary duty you know, no matter what, like, you know, CEOs might say about how their hashtag woke now, um, the, the end result is that they're trying to make money. So in America, yeah, they don't have to, you know, bend over backwards. And now they're suddenly being forced to try and defend why they haven't. And to me, I just, I find it hilariously hypocritical because a lot of these companies like to act like they're special and interesting and socially woke. And then, they, you know, they go over to another country and then they, you know, a totalitarian one and then follow all those rules. But then in a free country, ostensibly speaking, oh, no, no, never mind. We shouldn't be regulated at all. And by the way, we're focusing so much on Google. We're forgetting oh. the Facebook question facebook which is the makes facebook makes google look like an angel oh my god it does that's the thing also it I really know, does drake if you had told me three and a half years ago when we met hi hey sophia by the way you're going to be recording a podcast episode with drake mcfarlane and not only is it going to be about google and tech or whatever else but you guys are both going to take an extremely leftist anti-capitalist stance on this i would have been shocked i would have been shocked yeah like, dude for, for context for our listeners, Drake and I are no, known amongst our, our sort of friends and our, our colleagues back, way back at our, at our alma mater for being like that very like staunchly pro-capitalist whatever people, in part because like we're surrounded by a bunch of like anarchist socialists, right? So like, of course, anything right. that's even like somewhat, Hashtag Antifa, right? Yeah, anything that's like even somewhat centrist compared to that, like seems conservative, but like... I just, I, I find it very funny. Well, here's the thing that's a real canary in the coal mine. If the ostensible uh, capitalists of the left are freaking out, that's probably a good sign that, hey, maybe this stuff is a little bit creepy. Well, here's the you know? deal. I still think that I'm like very much a capitalist in the sense that like uh, true capitalism truly is not like the crony capitalism that we see with with Google or, or Facebook or whatever, right? This sort of like mo monopolistic, malfunctioning, somewhat corrupt, and again, we'll get into that later, version of capitalism that we see with these large companies and also with other special interests such as the NRA or whatever. It's like, that is not capitalism. That is not what Adam Smith would have advocated for, which I, you know, I find hilarious. <laughs> Wow. Okay. You're pulling out your wealth of nations today. I mean, that's pretty bad for the viewers or listeners. They usually hate that stuff. I respect that, Sophia, though. Well, I see where you're coming from. What a lot of people don't realize is like OG Adam Smith, like Adam Smith himself, like was quite, I don't want to say Marxist in a lot of ways, because he definitely wasn't, but he was very Didn't cognizantly he Marx? He was cognizantly aware of the fact that certain things in capitalist markets um, can produce bad results, such as the Rontier class. We, like he hated the We call Rontier that market class. failure. Yeah. So like, it's just, it's funny. Like if you go back to the basic tenets of what capitalism is supposed to be, it hypothetically should function well, but there are situations where monopolies can arise or environmental disasters can occur, or there can be massive abuse spread by a sort of oligarchic class, which is like what we see in quote unquote late stage capitalism. Right. Right. Which we're living through right now. And I, I, I'll admit this is a discussion for a separate podcast, a really separate series of podcasts. So like, I completely agree let's with you. Let's pivot but back let's, to the, 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 satanic, yeah. the satanic elephant in the room, which is Facebook. 
Right. So Facebook, um, there was a headline as of time of recording, right? That Facebook has finally created a board of like 30 to 40 members who will decide what is good and what is bad to be on Facebook. I know it sounds just as bizarre as it is because Facebook, instead of say creating a um, you know defined code of ethics or a a way to you know look at like fake news or whatever, they decided to outsource it. And so their argument, and I got to give the Zuck credit for this, is that they're going to create a supposedly independent board for misinformation, fake news, the whole nine yards, right? With 30 to 40 members populated from, quote-unquote, diverse backgrounds, whatever the hell that means, who will decide what is appropriate and what's not appropriate to be on Facebook. And that, ostensibly, they're not going to be popular because they're going to say no to some things. Cool. So the first problem is, all right, great, Facebook's trying to finally admit that, hey, they're kind of how Trump got elected or whatever, and that, oh, wait, by the way, Facebook owns most of the social media landscape, you just might not realize it, and oh, by the way, they know everything about us, and oh, by the way, whatever you see from most news or content or whatever is dictated by what the Zuck wants you to see, right? So they're going to pass the buck to a supposedly impartial, or at least diverse, board who will say yes or no to things, which is inherently undemocratic, although it sounds nice. In general, it's a complete cluster, is what I'm trying to get at here, right? Because you have multiple points of failure. First of all, the fact that Facebook is our primary um, social media platform, and if you don't think so, uh, any millennial or Gen Z who is on Instagram is part of Facebook, A. B. That's how most people are trying to do disinformation campaigns to, say, make Trump get elected again or make your parents be extra racist or Especially trick you about with these older generations, whatever. right? Like the core Facebook app is like super. Which, which. Yeah, sorry. You're correct. No, no, no. But I will also say, to be intellectually honest, Black Lives Matter was also infiltrated and supported by the Russians as well. You can check the Mueller indictments on this. So it wasn't Black Lives Matter left. itself. It was just like general, like, pro. They were a large part of it. Like, that's all I'm saying is that, like, they would co-opt certain movements and try to get people to not vote for the left. For instance, one of the big things the Russians did was the goal to make the Republicans vote for Trump and to make Democrats, such as people who are primarily of African-American descent, to not vote for Clinton. And how they did that was infiltrating BLM, you know, groups. That's the thing is that Facebook is a, a useful uh, personal uh, 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 how would I put it? A social way of getting at people, essentially. Mm-hmm. And so the problem is that you never quite know what group you're supporting is, you know, whether it's just a false flag operation in waiting. And so the thing is that, like, I, I don't want to just entirely attack Republicans, though. I would argue that the right has probably been more. Oh yeah, there's no affected such thing by as, like both sides in this situation, right? right. Like, but I hate that argument. I, was... I won't tolerate it. Like, the, right. the right is way more responsible for the chaos and mayhem of today then right totally but i will also say to be intellectually honest i can't give the left a complete pass no. because it is documented that oh wait whoopsie daisies we kind of bought into it yes, too but that's not like to the same mountains and molehills like it's right, right. but i'm just stuff. saying i'm and i agree with you but i'm just saying that we should be aware that it can cut both ways sure. in a, another environment they could attack us the same the, the methods to attack political opinion and personal opinion are the same across the board. Oh, yeah. So we should be aware of them. So Facebook, rightfully speaking, like I'll give them credit for at least trying to create a board to try, okay, quote unquote. Okay, here's the deal. It doesn't you know. matter what board they create. Mark Zuckerberg owns 60% of the voting shares of the entire Facebook platform. So he can single-handedly decide to ignore any advisory board any sort of devil's advocacy and just say, you know what, this is what we're doing. And he could do that with Facebook and pretty soon he's going to be able to do that with Instagram and WhatsApp as well. Well, and that's that's important that you brought that up. So Facebook's main argument against antitrust is that breaking them up would be disruptive to the market. It's a brilliant argument, actually. So Google's arguing that they're not a search engine, that they're advertisements, right? Facebook is literally saying that they're too big to fail. So Facebook has bought Instagram Right. Mm -hmm. And for people who are not aware, basically Facebook is for old people and millennials to have like old people to socialize, millennials to have a Rolodex and Gen Z's to occasionally create so they can have like, I don't know, a page to join their college group or something. Right. Instagram is where most of the young people happening is happening besides, say, Snapchat, which Instagram has been ripping off for the past two years anyway. 
And Facebook, Facebook also, has, right? Like sent the right, right, right. Of course. And so what's happened is Facebook has argued that Instagram is so intertwined with them now that breaking of Facebook would be, you know, causing undue harm, not only to shareholders, but also to consumers. And to add to that, they've created a new beta app called Threads, which I'm not kidding. It's basically like Snapchat Ultra, quote unquote, that links between Facebook and Instagram. The idea behind threads is that you are able to track in real time where all your friends are at at any given moment, sort of like Snap Maps, for instance, That's but so also hook it into Instagram. Well, the thing is, is that we already do that over Instagram and Insta, not Instagram, excuse me, Snapchat. It's the wild thing where we are already seeing the Gen Z millennial divide. When I was quote unquote in college, Snapchat was fun and interesting, but everybody really just went to Instagram. Gen Z people, people who are only a little bit younger than Sophia and I, right? They live on Instagram and Snapchat. And Instagram is their fun everybody sees, but Snapchat is what they use primarily for communication. And so essentially what Facebook is trying to do is create their own version of Snapchat that has that hyper intimacy that Snapchat has, connect it to Instagram and make it so that breaking up Facebook Right, like co-founder, former co-founder that is, Chris Hugh argues explosively back last year should happen would make it, you know, untenable for the current consumer market. So the brilliant thing, you know, the Zuck quote unquote is doing is that he's become such a monopoly that breaking up the monopoly they would argue would cause more problems, which is crazy town. But that's the world we live in today. Yeah. Not to mention and, that Facebook is also developing a dating app and a cryptocurrency. Oh, and- I totally forgot that. They have a crypt- cryptocurrency called Libra, which is its own monster. As saying somebody works in that kind of field, Libra is, like makes Bitcoin look cute. Well, the SEC and- is going to have a field day with Libra. That's all I can say about that. Right. And then you also have the Facebook dating app, which, you know, it's this weird thing. Like, I I looked into this, you know, as a guy who's, quote unquote, on dating apps and hanging out and whatever. I don't know. I'm super wary of Facebook. Like, I'll I'll play ball on Tinder, Hinge, you name it. But Facebook knows a little bit too much. I won't. Uh, I'm also, to to disclose a bit of personal information, avoid dating apps like the plague. Um, But I wouldn't, even if I was hypothetically considering a dating app, I would never go to Facebook. In part because there's like a weird fashion. It's like a weird modal thing with Facebook. Like, remember when Facebook came out with Facebook stories, sort of like Instagram stories or Snapchat stories or whatever? No one used them for the longest time. And only just now am I starting to see people use them. And only mostly because they're cross-posting from their Instagram story into their Facebook story. So yeah, like, not it's, only is it's it like weird. creepy and weird because it's Facebook, but it's also like, why would I ever use the Facebook dating app? That's like creepy and weird, you know, like it's well, just, it's unfashionable. So to actually, you know, I, I was wondering about that a lot, actually. And the argument I was reading in The Economist this past week is that Facebook is bringing the dating app environment back to the 90s. I know that sounds weird, but follow me here. So most of modern dating, social interaction, whatever, is based on random strangers, right? Facebook's making the bet that we would rather prefer a 90s friends-style dating experience where they're essentially leveraging our peers of peers to try and find dating partners, which, typically speaking, if you believe the economists and others, actually leads to better outcomes. However, the irony is this. In abstract, that actually sounds better because, like, Tinder is just random people you don't give a shit about, right? Mm-hmm. And Hinge is mildly better and Bumble nobody uses anymore. And there's tons of other apps that millennials don't use, like Match, I guess, is what old people use. I don't know. The point is, is that Facebook's trying to capture that, you know, in-person, friends-of-friends social grouping that makes people happy as opposed to anxious and creepy, right? But... The problem is is that it has the reputation of being a super creepy natural monopoly owned by the Zuck himself that nobody really trusts. So it's going to be really curious to see whether it's successful or not, at least in America. One thing I'd also like to interject uh, into this conversation before we run out of time here is like it's actually two different things which are sort of correlated or rather just related. I don't know where I came up with the word correlated. Um, so the first idea is, as we t- like talked about earlier, like Cambridge Analytica and like social engineering and, and all of that, like Facebook especially, but also Google to a certain extent, are serious national security issues, right? The fact that a foreign country can 
openly exploit one of our platforms for its own means and its own ends is really problematic, not to mention the fact that like there are links between Russian oligarchs investing in both Twitter and Facebook like in the past. By the way, those oligarchs also have investments in Jared Kushner's companies, right? Uh, Cute. A weird coincidence that happened today. I went to a book talk with Anders and uh, Anders Asland, who is a famous Swedish economist who specializes in the uh, political economy of the former Soviet Union. He used to advise Boris Yeltsin and a bunch of other people. Long story short, he's a really cool dude who has a lot of really smart ideas about stuff. He just came up out with a book that talked about um, like kleptocracy and corruption in Russia, and a huge portion of it traces all the way to here to America, to not only our financial financial institutions and offshore accounts, but also to our social media, right? And there's this idea that there's some kind of like not necessarily collusion or cooperation, but like a general like nod nod wink wink understanding between Facebook, potentially Twitter, and these Russian oligarchs. It's really concerning, right? Yeah. And then another side, the other thing that I wanted to bring up was the fact that, okay, so we have this person, Mark Zuckerberg, who owns 60% of this massive legal entity that's worth billions of dollars, basically, you know, overall, probably still in the millions now. I don't know if it's worth a billion yet. In the United States, the whole like idea of the United States is that we're founded upon a democracy and there is no monarchy. There is no autocracy, right? The fact that this one person controls so much of what we see and hear and think we know is so deeply problematic and like so contrary to our constitution like on a fundamental level this this bypasses antitrust law like this is like a deeply un-american idea so it's like how do we deal with this thing that's not only like a, a monopoly but also a national security threat and also like defies like the basic fabric of our democracy like i, I don't know it's a huge thing to tackle yeah, it's 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 a complete monster at its heart, to be perfectly honest. And I think like that's besides the scope of this entire uh, podcast in and of itself. But it, it, if anything, it merits another discussion. But we basically live in this world where, a certain level, we how would I put it? The technology is changing consistently, like. Four years ago, four or five years ago, right? Sophia, you and I were back in college and we were hanging out, right? I remember my freshman year was when Snapchat came out, right? Mm -hmm. And the information they had on us then was just cute in, in comparison. Now, it's the, the, the technology in and of itself has changed in, in entirely. And that the components by which people care about, what people use it for, changes on a daily basis. And the data that's available to these big, massive actors is insane. And the thing is, it will only get worse. Um, the cover story of The Economist this, this past week was that the Internet of Things is happening where you literally will have chips in every single object in your home because computing power is so cheap these days that will all hook into Facebook or the rest. It will give more information for them to have targeted targeted advertising and ways to learn about you. And the problem is, is that I don't see as a consumer what we can individually do. The traditional Milton Friedman conservative in the economic sense, right? Argument is that, oh, you vote with your wallet. You buy what you want, whatever, right? We live in a world where you can't choose not to participate in the system. Not having a Facebook, not having a Gmail, if you will, right? Not oh, interacting yeah. with that precludes you from employment and being a part of the quote-unquote system. As a result, to me, even if I support what Google ostensibly tries to do, it's still monopolistic. It's still ripe for abuse. It's still ripe for abuse by foreign actors outside of the company in and of itself. As a result, we should have some regulations in place. The problem is, is that how would you regulate that? Would you regulate Google like a public utility akin to, say, you know, a power company? How would you even go about that? The problem with the technology is it's speeding up so quickly, changing on such a daily basis that there's no immediate way that you could fix it that I'm aware of. And so I the thing say, is, like, I would, I would argue, I would agree, but also disagree. Uh, sure, hit agree me. in the sense that, like, yeah, the technology is evolving and it's hard to keep up with. But from a legal perspective, again, putting on my legal hat here. There is like nothing that's more important than setting a legal precedent if this is an issue you're concerned about, right? Sure. So we need to like pick up the reins again, the reins that we like very intentionally dropped 40 to 50 years ago, 
and start taking a look as these attorneys general are doing at these companies and take a big hard look into what they're doing and not just that but like these three billion dollar fines or five billion dollar fines that is nothing that is nothing compared to like what they're worth right sure um like that's like pennies you know a, a slap on the wrist so like not only do we have to like really just like inject more energy into the legal framework that we already have established, but also, you know, putting more effort to maybe establish more antitrust laws vis-a-vis technology and the internet. But we also need to just like take a look at like what kind of fines we're imposing and if that's really truly proportional to the issue that we're handling. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, it's not to say, is this a big problem? Yes. Is it daunting? Yes. Can there be nothing that we can do about it? No, there's tons we can do about it, right? Right. And so I so. think, uh, you know, this is this is the part of the episode as we close things out is how do we arbitrate on that? So for listeners who may be new, usually we have an arbitration section where we go around the, the, the block. And by that, I mean, whoever's on this podcast and think about where things are going to go. This is one of those things where it's not an obvious answer. It's not about questioning whether Hong Kong is going to go up in flame or not. It's where are we going whether facebook or not will be hit sophia what do you think um i think the the democratic primaries that we're experiencing right now is a good bellwether at least for thoughts on the left in terms of like where we're headed with this um elizabeth warren amongst a few other candidates has talked about either breaking up facebook google whatever else or limiting them in some ways. And I think the fact that there's like even discussion on this is a good good place to start. The fact that that this investigation happened and it's getting a lot of attention in the media is good, right? Like things, the discussion on this subject matter is a good place to start. And I think we're headed in the right direction. It's just a matter of in this sort of economy of, of attention, right? Where Donald Trump has all of these scandals, where climate change is an ever pressing issue, where, you know, Mitch McConnell is just like a freaking rock in the Senate and does not allow bills to be heard, right? With all of these things going on, how do we pay attention to yet seemingly another crisis, right? Mm-hmm. It's just something that we're gonna have to deal with and think about. You know, the good thing about this is that as it is urgent and pressing and necessary, it's also not like, it's not the end of the world, right? Like monopolies and whatever else, they're not totally like existential threats. It is something that can be handled. So it's just a matter of making sure that we're paying attention to it. And really, again, like having this culture idea that laws are incredibly powerful because they are, right? They are so powerful. And if we have faith in the legal system, and if we actually make sure that our prosecutors are prosecuting these things, you know, things will move. One Maybe hope. I'm just unduly optimistic. I don't know whether that actually happens or not. Who's to say? But I think we're headed in the right direction. Uh, you know, and Sophia, I, I I appreciate your optimism and your belief in the legal system. I, I was reading an article actually this morning, at the time of recording, that rule-based systems are predicated on the idea of seeing those rules happen, even if those rules don't always, you know leading a result that we enjoy. So the fact that we're even, you know, attacking these companies, even that we're investigating them, if you will, is evidence that at least the system, quote unquote, works here. And hopefully it will result in a better outcome. I will say that, as per usual, I'm going to be the pessimist in the room. And I will say this, is that even if in the bright future where, you know, the Zuck is somehow curtailed. Say we break up Google akin to Bell Labs back in like the 70s and we have this beautiful renaissance in telephone um, communication and innovation. Say that happens, right? I don't think it's going to happen. The thing is, is, even if it did happen, the momentum of technology and which direction it's going is such that even if we say, you know, whack-a-mole these current companies, in the end, some other company will rise because of the gains from this information. Yes and no. Like, I think, again, if you put legal protections in place, and especially with those fines that I was talking about, sure. earlier, disincentivizing bad acting, 
right? There's also an economy within this, right? There's an economy of, of money and there's an economy of laws and they sure. work to together to create incentives or like disincentives, right? So we have so, to disincentivize bad acting and incentivize good acting and also literally just put the legal framework in place to prevent these companies from starting in the first place. Well, the problem is that it might work in America itself, but the problem is what I think is about abroad, right? So we already have a situation where there are two quote unquote internets. There's the Sinosphere controlled by China and then there's the Westphere controlled by, we thought, US. But the US is in the Western sphere is already broken apart a little bit. There's something called GDPR, which is a completely separate conversation where the Europeans have actually cared about data privacy and Americans have not, which has already split the internet and internet companies in half as a result. Mm-hmm. And so what I, what my, my worry is that yes, we may be able to put certain protections in place, right? But that might end up fracturing the market in such a way that foreign actors, such as say the Chinese, will may in the end win over us. And an internet ruled by say, I don't know, Weibo and you know WeChat and, whatever and else. Yeah. Huawei, the rest. Although you know, still good technologies is still ruled by a totalitarian regime. I wouldn't want them to be following the rules and so that's the worst thing or sorry making the rules that's the worst thing about this is that i don't necessarily like how facebook and google operate for sure however they still ostensibly speaking follow basic western values of freedom of speech rule of law you name it right yeah while the competitors who are just as big just as scary don't care at all about that they're they're totally down for like a social credit score where you can send somebody to prison because they don't like you know xi jinping right and that's the thing that's so crazy about this is that i i wonder with like as a leftist in a certain regard whether us fighting against these bad guys right fighting against zuck and the rest is cutting off our nose to spider face and that in the long run what ends up happening is we break up these companies that are sensibly bad and they have their issues but then we end up getting overtaken by worse bad guys. And this is a question where I don't have a good answer to, but it's still a worry that we still have in the back of our minds. But anyways, we're going a little over time. The point I'm trying to get at is this. It's an issue. I at least am happy that we're finally addressing it on a legalistic lens. Hopefully we'll find out. And also, by the way, maybe use Facebook a little bit less because the Zuck is kind of scary. Sophia, oh, yeah. anything to add? Oh, yeah. The, like I'm in such a weird situation right now where I really very much would like to delete all of my social media but as like for reasons that you said earlier just like can't bring myself to so we'll see where this goes so with that being said thank you all for listening to yet another edition of Pino and Policy where at the very least Drake gets drunk talks about various issues and Sophia corrects him on his problems you can listen to us usually wherever you can listen to podcasts except for Spotify because Spotify doesn't like us yes yet so check us out on Apple Spring etc once again thank you to our wonderful producer steph reeves she's great she's also in boston so is sophia they're fantastic people don't dox them the point i'm trying to get is this thank you all for listening once again and of course check us out again in case you don't get taken by you know the zuck for some weird experiment where they you know show you trending posts for 20 years anyways (laughs) that's Peanut policy. See you again soon.